Welcome into the Leadership Legacy Podcast, where we interview influential leaders, learn the why, and how they turn their passions into progress that set them on the path to leaving their legacy. Legacy Podcast. This is episode number 32. Today we're talking with Adam and Becca Stanley of Blueprint 58. Blueprint 58 exists to connect neighbors and friends and broaden horizons on both sides of a relationship. It's a mentoring program in Southwest Atlanta where youth are empowered to grow into community leaders. Deeply rooted in Isaiah 58.12, they believe that communities can be restored through building mutually transformative relationships. Adam and Becca started Blueprint to connect neighbors and friends through sports programs, a young mother support group, community building events, and mentoring relationships. They strive to build future leaders from within. They firmly believe mutually transforming relationships will be the thing that changes the world, crossing boundaries of race and class and history and culture to create a more beautiful tomorrow for each and every one of us. Okay, so I'm sitting here with Adam and Becca Stanley of Blueprint 58 in Southwest Atlanta. Adam and, and Becca, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Awesome. Well, tell us a little bit about your story. Where did you grow up? Where did the love of inner city ministry and mentoring and serving others come from? Yeah, um, it kind of came out of nowhere a little bit. <laughs> we um, are high school sweethearts. Um, we lived in Marietta, which is a suburb north of Atlanta, um, is where we went to high school. Got married right after college, um, kind of jumped into just normal life. We, I worked for my parents' company full-time, and Adam taught at a school in Marietta. A friend of ours called and asked if Adam might be willing to be the head male counselor at a camp for at-risk youth, which was Camp Grace, um, that her dad had started. And it was our second summer being married or, and, yeah, and, and we were like, sure. <laughs> um, so we went for the summer and just kind of fell in love with the kids. And then we had already kind of been asking ourselves a lot of questions like, you know, what does it really mean to be a Christian? Is this all there is to this Christian life? Are we missing something? It mm-hmm. seems like Jesus was a little more radical than than um, this life that we found ourselves living and not that anything was bad about it or wrong with it. We just had a lot of things we were kind of wrestling through. So yeah, just the, I mean, we were going to church on Sundays. Um, we were serving in the, uh, uh, with the toddlers and, you know, we were just asking a lot of, a lot of these really powerful questions about community and what does true community look like? What does it look like to live where we have needs from our neighbors that they can meet and then we can meet our neighbors needs in some some regards uh, and so that's kind of what led us to to camp grace and then after camp grace um on to starting our own nonprofit. and uh, it was really we had this small group that would challenge us and would pray with us and um, we were reading a lot of uh, a lot of different books about um, community and living in community so i think that was kind of the catalyst for us starting our own nonprofit. Yeah. Yeah. After camp, we came home and we felt like we couldn't, we were like, we can't say we love our neighbors as ourselves and then ignore that these kids are living 30 minutes from us (laughs) and they are the poor and they are the people who Jesus said to care for. And we just couldn't go back to not doing that. So we started volunteering with different 
um, ministries downtown. And then that kind of just snowballed into here we are. <laughs> now we live here. <laughs> that's, that's so awesome. And, you know, you hear a lot of people think about going on mission trips and you obviously we're, we're called to go out to all nations and preach the gospel and to help everyone. But there's, there's such a, a, a huge need here in, in our local communities. I mean, there are people that are hurting and living in poverty, just like in a third world country, just, you know, like you said, 10, 20 minutes down the road. And for the people that, you know, can't necessarily go to a different country, there's so many opportunities here in your local area to, to help. And I think that's so awesome that you saw that need and, now you facilitate not only to for you to be able to help and your family to be able to help, but other people in your community can now get involved and, and it kind of gives them an outlet to, you know, fulfill their mission in life. We love our neighborhood. And, but, but if you had at the beginning said, here's where you're going to, God said, here's where you're going. Here's what you're going to do. would have been like, no, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but been very gracious, just like one step at a time and, and being like, what is this next right thing for us? And just continuing to take those steps in obedience. It all goes back to God does a call to equip. He equips the called. Oh, yeah. And uh, he put, he'll put a, uh, he'll put a, a passion in your heart for, for where he wants you to serve. He won't ever call you somewhere where he doesn't, where you won't necessarily have a passion for He'll, he'll always put that in your heart. So that's, it's cool to see that genesis in, in your lives of, of what's happened. Well, tell us a little bit about what Blueprint 58 does. Um, we kind of talked a little bit there about how it got started, but um, what, what's the primary, the primary goal for, for Blueprint 58? Um, you know, we, Blueprint 58 is based on Isaiah 58. We want to use that chapter and those verses um, which talk about pouring ourselves out for, on behalf of the poor and re- rebuilding streets with dwellings and kind of use that as a blueprint for restoring communities. So our goal is to transform a neighborhood from the inside out, not from the outside in. So um, we believe that there are assets and strengths and people who are already here who we can partner with and connect to outside resources and do things to help make this neighborhood a more beautiful place. So we primarily do that through relationships. Um, so Blueprint 58 is a mentoring program. We pair fourth grade students from the local elementary school with mentors. And our hope is that those will be long-term relationships. We ask mentors to commit to two years, but we would love for them to walk all the way through high school with their students. So, and then we have had some other things and programs that have kind of grown organically out of listening to our neighbors and asking what they want and need. Um, So we have some sports programming that we do. We have a flag football league in the neighborhood, and then we have a young mom support group, and then we do community outreach events. And like we do a big potluck Thanksgiving dinner and a back to school bash and those kinds of things. So, well, I know that y'all are in the middle of a, of a campaign for a new building, but what's the, what's you see as the biggest challenge right now for, for Blueprint 58? Um, I think the, the biggest challenge is it's a new community. So it's, we're in Adair Park and it's, I mean, it's a quarter mile away from us, but the, the community is very different um, in that there's been a lot more people that have come in to say, here, we've got something that you need and we're gonna do it for you um, and not really partner with the community as much. That's happened especially since the, the recession um, where the housing prices are really cheap. And so people came in, there's one organization that owned, I think 150 houses. And now they're, they're slowly trying, they're trying to do affordable housing we still have to qualify for a loan. And a lot of the, the family members that we know, they don't have any credit. Um, and so it's, it's tough to qualify for even a loan to get a house. So I think that's the, that's the biggest challenge that we're facing with, uh, with our new space is we have to build new relationships. 
Uh, but it's also exciting to us because that's what we love to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just looks, it all looks different. And, you know, anytime you're building relationships, things can get messy and words can get twisted and crossed. And so um, we really have to be present in the community um, and engaged with the people that are beside our new space. Because um, that's where we're going to live as well. It's not just our, our Blueprint 58 nonprofit home. It's also going to be our personal house uh, on the second floor. Um, because we really do believe that uh, that the community that we work in and the community that we serve alongside of, um, if we live there, then that community's needs and issues we will also experience. And so we will have, if there's a, let's say there's a storefront that is not a great place for students to be at because it may, you know, who knows what's going on there. That challenge becomes our challenge because we wouldn't want our kids to be walking to that store to buy a snack. And so how can we partner with the community to all kind of unify all of our voices for something better? Yeah. And it's just, you know, for us, our, we've always done everything out of our little bungalow <laughs> here in Adair Park. And we just started having to kind of limit like the number of moms we could serve and the because we just didn't have the space. So this feels exciting, but it's also a lot bigger than anything we've ever done. Um, it's going to cost us a lot more money. It's going to require a lot more volunteers. It's going to ongoing mean we have to raise more money every year to be able to keep the space running. And, um, you know, I just think anytime we step out and we take that next step, there's always a little fear and, you know, maybe we've gotten a little comfortable in our, on our corner here. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm excited, but, you know, we're trying to just be really wise and listening to our neighbors and what they want and to approach it humbly and not be people who are coming in and swooping in with a fancy new space and resources and whatever, you know, how to partner with our neighbors rather than feeling like um, we can fix them. Yeah, I think it's so important um, to be in the in the community with the people that you're trying to help, because like you said, there's, there's a book that was written about, I think it was on international missions, but I mean, it's just, it kind of makes sense for everything. It's when helping hurts. Yeah. It's like, if you just throw money at something, it's not going to fix the problem. If the problem isn't the money, the problem is, is normally a, a generational curse on a family or it's, you know, it's something that can be reversed with not only finances, but, you know, like with mentoring and with walking alongside those people in life and experiencing the same things and saying, Hey, look, I'm, I'm doing the same thing. The, the experiences I've had in my life have, have taught me a certain way to live and I want to help you with that and just, you know, coming alongside them and, and helping them, not just with money. Uh, I think a lot of people think that, they can, I mean, and that's a good thing. We need, you need finances to to buy things, to help facilitate things. And that's, and I guess that's some people's gifts. Some people's gifts are giving and here are finances, but giving it to organizations that don't just, you know, go with the sweeping hand and say, here's something new for you. Um, giving it to organizations like Blueprint 58 that know the needs of the people in the community and can, you know, disseminate those resources uh, in, in the best way possible is, is huge. Yeah, I mean, that's what we're hopeful for. Well, and recognizing that we have as much to learn and gain from our neighbors as they do from us. I mean, the two boys we started mentoring after camp for sure changed our lives more than we changed their lives. (laughs) Here, I mean, we wouldn't be living here if it wasn't for them. So yeah, we've learned so much from our neighbors. And um, so we always emphasize this two-way relationship where we're both sides are being transformed. Yeah. Well, what's been the hardest thing so far in starting the nonprofit and, and living out your daily lives in the community that you're serving? And I think that the hardest thing for us is, um, you know, we, we always want to be able to see results in the work that we do. And that's not necessarily, that's not something that God is asking for from us. But a lot of times 
when you have a nonprofit, you, you want to show people what you're doing, uh, that you say, hey, this is what your donations are going towards. It's really challenging to what we do is a, it's a long term play. Uh, it's not something that's a quick fix. I mean, sure, we we feed students, we provide snacks and meals and all of that stuff, backpacks. It's all great stuff. Mm. Um, but the relationship piece is something that takes a long time. And when we mentor students and mentor families, those mindset changes, the shifts in mindset, they take a, a really, really long time and a lot longer than, than Beck and I like. <laughs> uh, it's not on our time frame, and we just continue to have to remind ourselves that uh, it's all in God's timing and any results are not, that's not on us. And that's not a product of what we've done. That's all God. So we can't, you know, we just, all we can do is be faithful um, and continue to show up and continue to, um, to share love, even when that love's not reciprocated mm, yeah. and pray that, uh, that God would work in a student's heart or in our hearts. And I think that, that to me is the, the hardest thing. We see that all the time at uh, in the community, but also at school. It's like, man, what are we doing here? You know, our students have so many challenges that they have to overcome just to make it to school every morning. Uh, they get there and it's, I mean, it, it really, it can be really discouraging in some days, um, but man, they made it there. And that's a success that the students are there and that they have, the op- that I have the opportunity to share love with them. I'm going to encourage them. And man, I'm so glad to see you this morning. Um, so I think those, uh, and the, the hard things of wanting to see results and wanting to see really quick transformations of the heart are all uh, challenges. But man, just to see and interact with the students and to build relationships um, is really, uh, I don't know, that encourages me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, one thing that God just teaches us over and over again, like we keep having to learn it the hard way, <laughs> yeah. is that his success doesn't always look like our success. Yeah. And that middle class white ideas of what it looks like to be successful is not always the gospel and yeah. what separating like our desires for students from what does, what is God's best for this kid and yes. for their family and how can we pray that in that for that in them? And how can we come alongside them? How can we learn from them in this and, and letting go of our own ideas of success and just being faithful to where, where God has called us and to what he has called us to. I'm so excited to let, I'm so excited for people that don't know about Blueprint 58 to learn about <laughs> Blueprint 58. There's going to be somebody out there that's just like, man, I love what they're doing um, in the Atlanta area. Didn't know they existed for some, whatever reason, because y'all are so awesome, um, <laughs> you know, that they can connect. I'm um, just, you know, I'm just excited for, for y'all and for this next chapter. What drives you to get up every day? <laughs> Oh, my children. <laughs> They're knocking on you and saying, Mommy, it's Bill. I'm always like, it's too early. No. Um, I mean, the thing is that, like, we, I really, we love our neighborhood. We love our lives. Mm-hmm. I feel like the Lord has really given us a gift in this. And we, I love being able to invite other people into that, whether that's more neighbors or whether that's new mentors or donors or just this idea of mutual transformation kind of everything going both ways and knowing Mm -hmm. if I can connect this kid with this mentor or this donor who can help them find a job or, you know, kind of being this bridge is just, it it feels like an honor um, to get to do and, and to be able to take myself kind of out of that picture and say, all I'm doing is connecting these two people or this kid with this job or this resource this kid can needs a car because he can't get to work or whatever it is. However, we can facilitate that and use our privilege and our position to speak up for our neighbors and to come alongside them. feels, feels really lucky to me. Yeah. I mean, I think 
with all of the the challenges that we we see and experience. I mean, that really the only thing that continues to to move us forward is our relationship with Jesus. I mean, it it really is. I mean, <laughs> we've had some really challenging weeks um, where we're like, "What are we doing? And why are we still here? And maybe we'd be better off just to go back to what we were doing." Uh, where I was teaching and Becca was working, uh, teaching in the suburbs and Becca was working for uh, the par- her parents' company, traveling all over the world. Man, that sounds great. Um, but then we sit and we with that for maybe you know, 30 seconds, we're like, no, this, that's, that doesn't even compare to the adventure that God has called us on. Um, and, and so I know for, for us, it's just, it's only knowing what God is calling us to. That's what, that's what keeps us going. Because, yeah. man, some of the, the stuff that, that we hear from the students, like, this world is so dark, and why are we here? Why are we, why are we putting ourselves, and, and why are we showing our kids this side of the world? But then we see the flip side of that, man, God is so great. And our kids can see, our own children can see how great God is and how often he shows up, not just for our family, but for families in our community, and how he fights against the darkness on our behalf. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that... That is really uh, what what keeps us going most days. Yeah, it's not anything of our own strength. Yeah, it's so good. Well, there's a there's a word out there that that people and I imagine um, in in your in in mentoring and and I mean teaching school and 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 serving the local community. There's a word out there that a lot of people live and die by, and that word's failure. Um, a lot of people see it as just the end. There's, you can't come back from failure. Some people see it as a stepping stone. What does the what does the word failure mean to y'all? I mean, I just think it comes back to that idea of redefining success, yeah. right? Because then the flip side of that is is that our failures are the things that have taught us the most, really. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking about the situation we're kind of going through now and this idea that like if I look at it objectively, I'll be like, man, I really failed. <laughs> then if I look at it through God's lens. He's so tender to us in that. And he's so like generous with his encouragements to keep going and with using other things to, um, to let us learn from those mistakes and to, and then to extend that same grace to our students when they fail or to our neighbors, when they make mistakes or say, Hey, I really messed this up in there. And here's what we can do next, you know? the next right thing, whatever that is. So I think that's something we're constantly like wrestling through and learning from is the fact that God's kingdom and economy doesn't look anything like ours. <laughs> so failure doesn't mean a lot to him. I think failure creates opportunity. Like Becca said, it, you know, we may mess up in a relationship with one of the students or with a neighbor, but we can go and apologize. And I can't, I mean, we've had, we don't know how many students that we have, we've messed up, we've hurt in some way. Uh, maybe we said the wrong thing. Maybe we shared information with somebody or somebody else's story and we had to go back and apologize. And they, many students have never had some, an adult come to them to apologize, like seek them out say, hey, I messed up and I'm sorry. And it creates such an incredible uh, opportunity to show and to model um, Christ's love to say, you know what, this is, I was wrong and you were right and I'm sorry and I want to, I want to rebuild this relationship uh, because more than the money that, um, uh, that we need to do the work we're doing or our own pride, we need each other. And so our, this relationship is far more important than anything else. And I want you to know that. Um, and so I think that, that failure really creates opportunity to move the relationship forward 
Um, or, you know, I teach, I teach chemistry. And so most of science is failure. It's a fun, you fail a thousand times before you get something right. Uh, so failure just gives you opportunity to, to reassess and say, Hey, maybe I need to look at this differently. Maybe I need to change the lens uh, through which I'm viewing this situation. Well, I know you have a lot of volunteers, uh, a lot of mentors that come on uh, to help with, with the organization. When you're looking to hire somebody to come on or even, you know, proving somebody to be a volunteer, what are some of the, um, what are some of the characteristics that you look for in a person uh, when you, when you're thinking about bringing them into the organization to, to work with you? You know, most of our mentor training consists of us reminding our mentors that they're not going to save anyone. <laughs> yeah. Like you are not here to save these kids. You are not going to be, there's a lot of power dynamics that come from, you know, we're, we continually are trying to diversify our mentor pool and somewhat do a good job of that. But a lot of times mentors come in who look like us and they're mentoring students who are African-American and there's a lot of power dynamics that we have to be really careful um, to be wise about and to be generous and just be careful. But all of that to say, I think the most important characteristic is somebody who's humble and consistent, someone who is willing to show up, just keep showing up. Like you don't have to teach anything. You don't have to save anyone. You don't have to actually do anything. You just have to show up and you have to be willing to learn from the students, from their families, from the neighbors. Um, and that's what we look for in employees. And we have an amazing team right now. We have Takia works for us and she runs our mom's group and she's a superstar. I'm always like, could you be executive director? <laughs> um, and then um, Maddie is our mentor coordinator and they're both just humble and wise and I'm honored to get to work alongside them. Yeah, they're both incredibly passionate. I mean, you've got to, you also have to be passionate uh, about the work and about relationships and really, really faithful and spending time in prayer and knowing what what God's voice sounds like. I mean, there's been many times where we felt like, man, if only we knew what God was saying. And like, well, wait, I haven't read, I haven't opened my Bible in weeks. So how am I going to know what he's saying if if I don't have a relationship with him? And uh, so I think that, they, that uh, our mentors and employees, they, they just need to be passionate about uh, relationships and about their relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. That's good. Well, you, t you talked about, um, you talked about the Bible there. I mean, I know this is probably, that's probably your favorite book. Um, but what are, what's, uh, what's one of the best books that you've read recently? Oh, every time someone asks me to recommend a book, I'm going to say the same thing. Tattoos on the heart. By okay. Well, he is like our hero. <laughs> we have to listen to it once a year, probably to remind ourselves of what we're doing and why we're doing it. And that whole idea of redefining success. So Father Greg runs the biggest gang intervention program in the country and he tell and he's in LA and he tells stories and he just has this beautiful heart that he loves the the gang members he works with um, and he talks about building kinship with them um, and then standing in awe of the burdens that people have to carry instead of judging the way they're carrying them. I read that over and over again. And he has a like a second book that just came out this year, Barking to the Choir, which is also really good. That's my favorite book, hands down. <laughs> my favorite book doesn't really have anything to do with ministry. It's about getting in the woods. It's A Walk in the Woods by Bill Bryson. Uh, it's more of just a leisurely reading book, but I love outdoors. And that's really where I um, I can relax and uh, connect with God the most. Uh, and so it was, it's just a funny story of these two guys that are hiking the Appalachian Trail. Um, and we have a lot of books that we recommend to our mentors and to, you know, on 
you know, When Hope and Hurts and um, Bob Lupton's books and Here's a Soul Revolution by Shane Claiborne is the book that kind of sparked everything for us. So I could go on and on if you ask me about books, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got one last question about books. Yeah. Um, if looking back on, on what y'all have done so far in your lives, if you were to write a book about your life, what would that title be? <laughs> um, I um, have been thinking about this a lot, actually. And um, when we moved into our neighborhood, two days after we moved into our house, our second son was born and needed emergency open heart surgery. And he's doing well now. I hear him jumping in the other room, actually. <laughs> um, you know, I think the things we learned through that surgery and through having his heart opened and redone, we've really had our own hearts replumbed by God's economy and by what he's doing on the margins and in this neighborhood. Um, so maybe open hearts, <laughs> something like that. And this idea that only God can give us the new heart that we need and that we're going to be the ones who need it even more than our neighbors do. So I got one last question. When you look back on your kids, when you look back on, on your family and the community that you've impacted, when you're getting ready to leave this world, uh, what do you want them to remember you by? And what's that legacy look like? You know, I, I think a lot of um, my own pride and I want to, I want people to remember me, but in the grand scheme of things, I don't, I want, I want people to remember the relationships they've built, maybe not even know us or Blueprint 58, but man, they got connected with a mentor that um, was there for them in their greatest time of need, or a mentor got connected with a student and it really opened their eyes to some of the realities that so many students face and maybe alter the course of their life like it did ours. Um, and so I think that what I would want us to be remembered by is the, uh, the relationships that are created um, through us and the way that, uh, that God has really used us. And the, I mean, the, it's really incredible to see how long God has been working to do all of this work that he's doing through us. I mean, we've had in this working on this, getting this new building, we've had people from our high school and college ministries connect with us and say, Hey, I can help you here. I was like, man, God was really started this way back when we were in high school and still building those relationships today. And so that's what I would want people to, to see is that it's not just Adam and Becca or Blueprint 58. It is the greater work of the kingdom here in Atlanta and the metro region that has allowed this transformation of hearts, uh, whether it's a, a middle-class white couple or uh, a young African-American male that, that has his eyes opened and, and horizons broadened because he's gotten to experience new things. I think, you know, one thing we say a lot is that the only thing we can do is help give students and neighbors and mentors a safe place to become everything that God intended them to be from the beginning. So I think if we can just play a small role in people's flourishing into their true identity and, and into the fullness of what God has created them for, then, then that's an honor. And that's something that will outlast us because people coming alive to who they were meant to be will then have this ripple effect that I, don't, I can't even imagine how great it would be. This side of heaven, you'll never know. Yeah, that's so awesome. Adam and Becca, thank you again so much. Uh, I know you all got your hands full. It's fall break. You got the kids home. Adam, you're out. You're off uh, from teaching. Yep. Um, so y'all uh, enjoy uh, the rest of the break. So thank you all again so much. Well, thanks, Tony. We appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you all so much again. And, uh, and y'all keep going at it. And I'm excited to see 
what comes out of uh, out of the new space and, and what y'all are up to. Hey, this is your host, Tony Oravet of the Leadership Legacy Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to this past episode. It would mean the world to me if you would go and rate this podcast on iTunes and share it with your friends. Show notes and information on today's guest are on leadershiplegacy.show.